Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. Of course, I'm talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend, the UFC is heading back to the apex for Makachev versus Tiago Moises. We, of course, won't be talking about that fight, though, or any of the other fights on the main card, because we are the prelim primer, where we break down only the prelim portion of this card. Now, for those of you who might be new to the show and you're asking yourselves, why just the prelim portion of the card? Why not break down Nisha Tate's return or Islam Makachev's ascension to the top? The answer is really simple. You probably already have pretty strong feelings about those fights, especially if you're coming to a podcast like this. And there's probably a lot of people on this card that you don't know a ton about and don't have a place to get that information. Well, we're that place for you to get that information on those prelim fighters, and we're going to do it in a nice, easy manner for you to understand. So whether you're gambling or playing daily fantasy sports or whether, hey, you just want to win a pick'em contest, we've got it all right here for you. Now, speaking of pick'em contests, I'd be remiss if I did not mention that this episode is brought to you by Fanatics MMA, the most comprehensive MMA pick app that exists today. They've got fighters, bios, records, odds, all right in the palm of your hand while you make your picks. And let me tell you something. So many great features are why I love Fanatics MMA so much. You can download it, play around with them a little bit, or you can listen on a little bit later on in the show while I tell you about some of the great features that make this app so special. But in the meantime, I highly encourage you to download it wherever it is you download your apps. And like I said, I'm going to be listening on a little bit later in the show, and you can tell you all about some of the really cool things. Now, before we get to those other cool things, I do have to introduce my co-host. Joining me today from Bloody Elbow, frequenter of the show, Kristen King. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me back. We got a short prelim card, but some exciting fights nonetheless. So ready to get started when you are. Absolutely. It is much shorter than usual, but as we do with each and every round, I'm going to start by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Daniel Rodriguez versus Preston Parsons. Daniel Rodriguez, 4-1 in the UFC. His only loss came to Nicholas Dalby by decision. He bounced back from that by absolutely putting down a beatdown on Mike Perry. Now, his original opponent dropped out. He's been given Preston Parsons, who's 9-2, making his UFC debut. He won four straight fights for an organization known as Combat Night Pro. All of his wins on his career are submissions. Now, obviously that shows us he's a crafty grappler. If you've seen him fight, you know that he's a crafty grappler. How does that play against somebody like Daniel Rodriguez, too, and and especially on short notice? Yeah, it's certainly an interesting matchup because I would figure that the UFC would give Daniel Rodriguez somebody that would stand with him. And I feel like Preston Parsons would oblige him for a little while, but you know his MO is probably going to be to take it to the ground. But the thing here is Daniel Rodriguez preparing to fight one of the Nurmagomedovs, and we all know what the MO is, how to get the fight to the ground. So I would reckon that Daniel was probably preparing for that type of grappling-heavy fight. Uh, unfortunately, Nurmagomedov was out. He pulled out, and now in steps Preston Parsons, who is, I'm not going to say uh, anywhere near the level of Nurmagomedov that Daniel Rodriguez uh, fight, but it certainly is in the same ballpark. So... I want to say that because he was already preparing for someone like that, he should have been working on takedown defense. So I don't really see it being too much of a switch in game plan for Daniel. 
No, and I think, too, you make a good point, right? Like, the fact that he was preparing probably for the takedowns of Abubakar and Nurmagomedov, as is, it, it probably means that the preparation doesn't really change it. And I do think, I, I think they both have good grappling games, Nurmagomedov mm-hmm. and Parsons, but I think the difference here for me is that one of them is a much better wrestler, whereas Parsons is really crafty on the ground, has really yes. fun submissions, goes for everything. But I just don't know that the wrestling is there really to get Daniel Rodriguez there. And Daniel Rodriguez, you know, not for anything. Daniel Rodriguez kind of gets written off as a grappler. But the dude is is got a really decent grappling background in his own right. If I'm not mistaken, he's a 10th planet jiu-jitsu guy. I think he's a brown or a black belt under 10th planet. So, like, he, he's got his own his own background in, in grappling as well that gives me at least faith that if for some reason it did happen to hit the mat, he'd be fine there for a little bit. Um, so I guess we, we've come to the point where we got to lodge a prediction. Who do you got and how do you got him? Yeah, I think here I'm going to take Rodriguez by second round technical knockout. Yeah, and I'm going to go with Rodriguez by knockout too. I don't know how durable uh, Preston Parsons is, so I'm actually going to take him in the first round here too because, uh, man, Daniel Rodriguez has gotten out some really tough guys in mm-hmm. the first round. So I, I'll say D-Rod gets it done early again. And next to our next fight was it Amanda Lemos versus Montserrat Ruiz. So Lemos, since losing to Leslie Smith and popping hot for some some steroids, uh, she returned two weight classes down, which is sort of crazy. But since then, she's gone 3-0. and She beat Miranda Granger, Mizuki Inoue, and Lavinia Souza. She's fighting Montserrat Ruiz, who came in on short notice and beat Cheyenne Bays back in March. That was her debut, so she's 1-0 and in the UFC. My question here is, Ruiz's fighting style is very weird. Uh, very mm-hmm. pressure-heavy, kind of sloppy on the feet, good jujitsu, really funky takedown. She loves that, like, head and arm takedown. She, like, scarf-hold a lot on the ground. I guess my question just for you is, is that grappling good enough to get L- Lemos down? And if so, is it enough to hold Lemos down? And, and just so I throw every possible question at you at once... If not, can she strike with Lemos? I will give you the shortest answer possible. No, no, and no. <laughs> First of all, I just want to say I'm a bit confused by the matchmaking considering Amanda Lemos is currently ranked number 14 in the strawweight division, if I'm not mistaken. So this kind of seems like a bit of a step back for her because Ruiz came in on short notice, as you mentioned. And uh, I'm sure her last performance left little to be desired because, like you said, she went for that head and arm throw all the time with buys. But as frustrating as it was, it was definitely effective. And she had used that before in a number of her fights, and it has won her those fights. So props to her. But when I look at it in terms of the person she's facing now in Lemos, I think Lemos is good enough to keep that from happening and will probably spend the majority of the fight piecing Ruiz up. Um, I feel like Ruiz, she's definitely going to battle back. But if I have to pick who is harder, I'm going with Lemos. And you have to add on to that. The advantages she has in the height and the reach, yeah, it's kind of hard for me to see a winnable strategy for Ruiz. I'm sure she's going to be tough. I'm sure she's going to be durable. But uh, Lemos is on another level. Yeah, and, and I think you're you're right about, like, a couple of things. First of all, she's used that before. She really loves that head and arm throw. She, she used it in, in Invicta against uh, Janissa Moradin, uh, and, like, <laughs> It worked great, and then she subbed her from Scarfold, which was even mm-hmm. more impressive. But, like, it caught Cheyenne Bays, if I'm not mistaken, and this is my own, you know, kind of assumption here, but I think it caught Bays 
off guard. She didn't have any days to prepare for her, really. Like, she's yeah. stepping in on, like, three days' notice. Lemo, she's got a full camp devoted to Montserrat Ruiz. I'm assuming she's got plenty of escapes for that. And in addition, she's she's really good at jiu-jitsu, too. Super <laughs> underrated at jiu-jitsu because she is good on the feet. Yeah, I'm going to say she pieces her up here. I'll take her by decision, though. I don't think she's going to get her out. How do you see her winning? I'm going to be bold here, and I'm going to say it's going to be a third-round technical knockout for Lemos. I think Ruiz puts up a little bit of a fight, but she'll be able to get her out of there towards the end. Boom, and that's going to be the end of our very first round. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with round number two. All right, guys, I mentioned at the top of the show that there are all kinds of cool things you can do on Fanatics MMA, some great features. And if you already downloaded the app, you're probably messing around with it and learning a lot about those features right now. But if you haven't, let me give you one more reason that you should. Fanatics MMA is the greatest scoring system that exists. You're probably used to having a pick'em contest where the person with just the most wins wins the whole contest. Or maybe, you know, they've got some kind of cheesy scoring system where you get points for, you know, whether or not you predicted a knockout or whatever. Fanatics MMA keeps it simple by using the Vegas odds. So if you choose a huge underdog and they win, you get rewarded for it. It basically gives you like a fight IQ score. And for me, that's the coolest scoring system that exists today. Of course, they've got other really cool bonuses and stuff if you check it out. But I highly suggest making sure before you do any of that, you got to download the Fanatics MMA app. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Khalid Taha versus Sergey Mozov, uh, or Morozov, rather. Khalid Taha, one and one with a no contest in his last three fights. He most recently fought Rayoni Barcelos. He lost the decision. That was in November. Morozov, meanwhile, got beat by Umar Nurmagomedov by rear naked choke. That was in his January debut, so he's 0-1 in the UFC. Obviously, that's a tough loss for Morozov in his debut but I'm going to ask you this. Are, are you crediting more of that to the level of opponent he had to fight in his debut? Or was there something alarming there about his ability? Oh, for sure. I think it's just a matter of the level of opponent that he had to face. Of course, like I was mentioning in the Daniel Rodriguez and Preston Parsons breakdown, uh, anytime you go up against a Nurmagna Medov, you know exactly what you're going to get. Those guys are just so excellent on the ground. And when it comes to wrestling, it's just hard to really get a, get a good grip on one of those guys. So for me, the uh, loss to Nurmagna Medov didn't really say too much uh, for Morozov. And I think, I think he'll be able to bounce back. I haven't really given up on him after that performance. I just think it was a matter of opponent. And I think he has a good chance here against uh Khalid Taha, depending on the type of game plan that he wants to employ. I still think he has great wrestling. So does Khalid Taha, but you've seen in recent fights, he's super aggressive, obviously has the power to drop any of his opponents, and given the opportunity, he certainly will. Uh, but sometimes he can get wild. Sometimes he can get crazy. We saw that in the Barcelos fight. I think that Morozov should probably worry about worry mostly about keeping Taha up and against the cage so he can't really get anything off. And if it fits, try to get him to the ground where he's certainly better suited or overwhelm him as best as possible, just like Barcelos did. That fight was so fun, but Taha really defeating in that fight. So if that was my strategy for Morozov, I think he would be the clear winner here. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he needs to lean more on his wrestling. Even when <laughs> I'm watching some of his M1 fights, like he, he does fall in love with his hands a little bit here and there. And, and in I don't think it serves him as well as his wrestling because he, he not only has good takedowns, 
but he's got really good body locks that both work for takedowns and keep his opponents up against the cage. And like you said, Taha is a guy who, if you come forward enough on him, can be overwhelmed pretty easily. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I think if he follows that game plan that you sort of outlined, I, I think this is his fight for sure. Now, here's my big question. Do you think he follows that game plan? And if so, how does it go? Oh, goodness. I hope he follows that game plan if he really wants to get a win, because that Nurmagomedov fight was really about who's the better wrestler. And we saw that happen and uh, he lost. So now he gets the chance to prove himself once more. He can certainly do it again. My safe pick is going to be a unanimous decision win for Morozov. I think that he'll be able to hold him down, hold Taha down and uh, make his way to a unanimous decision. Well, I'm going to agree with you on that one again. I'm going to take Morozov by decision as well. I, I just think, yeah, he, he's going to get enough of those takedowns. It's, it's going to play. Uh, and that brings us to our next fight, which is Miles Johns versus Anderson Dos Santos. Johns, 2-1 in the UFC. He's coming off a big knockout over Kevin Natividad. That was back in October with a vicious uppercut. Dos Santos lost his first two fights in the UFC, but seemingly saved his job with a guillotine victory over Martin Day. That, of course, was in November. Now, my question for you is that both of these guys love to shoot takedowns. They, mm-hmm. they both shoot hundreds of them. It seems like they're almost spamming them out there. And they also landed a very low percentage. Like, neither of them have gotten a very good percentage since joining the UFC. So I'll ask this. If this fight winds up being a stalemate in their wrestling abilities and both the guys stay on their feet, who do you favor in that fight? Oh, you know what? Okay, see, I hadn't looked at it at this perspective because I was fully expecting it to go to the ground. Uh, but I will say I might lean slightly more towards John's. And I feel like the reason behind that is because Dos Santos is, as I was describing in the Taha fight, very aggressive as well. He will try his best to knock you out. But that typically leaves a gap open for him to be countered. I mean, we saw what happened in the Andre Uwe fight. That was another firefight. Uh, but once Dos Santos started to get hit and it was the left hand of Andre Uhl that really started to, to tag him, uh, he started to mix those takedowns in. So he can't really eat too much of those. And I feel like Miles Johns has certainly improved in that aspect. Uh, I think when he was first starting out, he was known primarily as a wrestler. And obviously his pedigree says he's definitely a good wrestler. Uh, but now, you know, his last fight was a third round knockout over Kevin Atividad, and that was that humongous uppercut that was super slick. Uh, so just seeing the minor improvements that he's been making, I feel like he does enough to kind of counter well against Dos Santos. So I'd have to lean slightly towards Johns in that department if they do not go to the ground. So so then I'll, I'll throw it back on you again. So you see this fight going to the ground. Who do you see being the one scoring these takedowns? I would say Johns is going to score the takedowns, but Dos Santos is going to go to work because we obviously know that his submissions are something to look out for. And he's not one to be, uh, what's a good word, uh, complacent against on the ground because he will definitely snatch something up very quickly. So Johns will more than likely go for the takedown. I think he will try his best to control from the top. But uh, he can't be complacent. He can't leave anything out there because if anybody's grabbing onto a leg or an arm, it's Dos Santos. So, so you gave the advantage in both of those areas to Miles Johns, but I, I have a feeling that you're leaving the door open for an Anderson Dos Santos win there with the, that submission ability. Hmm. So it's time to log that pr- prediction. Who you got and how do you got him? Ooh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the safest pick possible, and that's gonna be <laughs> unanimous decision. 
for Johns. But as you said, I'm leaving the door open. So. Yeah, I'm going to go with you on that one, too. We're four for four in agreeing on this one. I'm going to take Miles Johns. I think he wins a decision here. I think he chooses whether or not it goes to the ground. So Mm -hmm. with that being in his back pocket, he almost can just feel out the striking until he knows whether or not he's got a huge advantage. So I kind of expect him to do that. And and yeah, if he he runs into trouble, as long as he's not complacent on the ground, I, I think he stays safe enough to get the win here. And that's going to do it for the end of our second round. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with round number three. All right, guys, now that we're at the end of this show, I did want to talk to you a little bit about one more feature from Fanatics MMA, and that's the group function. The really cool thing about Fanatics MMA is you can create a group in there so that not only can you see all of your friends' picks and compare your picks and show your buddies that you know more than them, but you can also chat with them during fight night, which is really awesome, especially sometimes when your friend moves away or, hey, there's not usually a big cluster of MMA fans in one section. So be able to talk to your friends while you're looking at their picks, while you're looking at the odds, all those cool things right in the Fanatics MMA app. And if you want to join the Top Turtle MMA podcast at group on the Fanatics MMA app, you can do that by checking out the link in the show notes, in the Top Turtle MMA Instagram bio, or in the Top Turtle MMA Twitter bio. So join us. Come check out my picks and, of course, start your own group at Fanatics MMA. And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Francisco Figueredo versus Malcolm Gordon. So Figueredo beat Jerome Rivera in his January debut by decision, although he did fade a little bit in the end of that fight. Um, (laughs) And, of course, he beat a guy who's now 0-4 in the UFC. So Impressive, but maybe not as impressive as it could have been. Malcolm Gordon, also not terribly impressive in the UFC so far. He's 0-2 with losses to Amir Albazi and Sumu Derji. Both of those losses came in the first round. So my question to you, let's start with Malcolm Gordon, because I think he sort of needs to grapple in order to win most of the fights that he sees in the flyweight division right now. Uh, He doesn't seem to have as polished a striking as just about any of the, the flyweights I've seen so far. What percent chance do you have him actually getting this fight to the floor at some point? Oh, man. No, I don't want to give it a number, but I had in my notes for this fight, he still has a chance, albeit it is very slim. The way that you set that up was beautiful. I also uh, believe that Gordon should probably rely on his wrestling. Um, He should drag Figueredo to the mat and get him tired because, as you said, in uh, his last appearance and Figueredo's last appearance against Jerome Rivera, he did tire out a little bit. So if you know that your opponent may struggle with the later rounds, I would definitely do my best to kind of overwhelm him and just put that pressure on him as long as possible. My issue is uh, Figueredo has pretty solid takedown defense. And I, yeah, I feel like, that if that's your only opportunity for a victory is to get the fight to the ground and it's against someone who has pretty solid takedown defense, then it's just very frustrating because this is this really is do or die for Gordon. I mean, if he loses another fight, then that makes three in a row, and you know that pink slip will be hot off the presses at that point. So he has a slim chance, but I don't know the way that he's lost previously a knockout and a submission against a guy like Figueredo. That doesn't bode well. I, I'm I'm worried for Malcolm Gordon in this fight. Yeah, and I, I think you actually did outline the the path to victory there for him. Even if he's not getting the takedowns early, to continue pushing them enough to try to tire Figueredo out, 
and then maybe score something late. I, I think it's probably the right way, but here's the thing. I, and I'll, I'll tip my pick right ahead of your time. I think he's going to get pieced up on the feet in the worst possible way. I think Figueredo is going to do whatever he wants with his hands and in vicious manner early on. I'm going to pick first here and I'm going to say Figueredo by first round knockout. How about you? I think we're five and five because I got first round technical knockout for Figueredo as well. Well, if we're going to disagree about anything, it's usually the big boys, right? Because it is hard to agree on a prelim opener with a couple of dudes who max out the heavyweight weight class. And that's Alan Baudot versus Rodrigo Nascimento. So Baudot made his UFC debut and got knocked out real quick. But of course, it was against Tom Aspinall. And that was back in October. So no shame in that loss, but a very quick debut for Alan Baudot. He's going to be fighting Rodrigo Nascimento, who picked up a rear naked choke on Dante Mays in his debut, but then was promptly knocked out in short order by Chris Dawkins. That was in October as well. Again, no shame. Chris Dawkins now a top 10 heavyweight as well. So both of them knocked silly their last time out, but but, but hyper good prospects, right? Chris Dawkins, <laughs> Tom Aspinall, they're guys who are on the up and up in the heavyweight division right now. If you look back at these guys' fights, though, apart from being knocked out really quick, it seems kind of like we're looking at a striker-grappler matchup with with Nascimento being a little bit more skilled on the ground, having a whole bunch of submissions, Baudot kind of just letting him fly, but but having some dynamite in his hands. Do you see it kind of shaking out that way? If it it stays on the feet long enough, Baudot wins, and if it goes to the mat, Nascimento wins. Literally, this is a very simple fight to call. We're calling it straight down the middle. Bodo either gets a knockout or Nascimento gets it to the ground and gets a submission. Now, if either man were smart, let's put it in Nascimento's corner here. If he's smart and he sees the way that Aspinall handled the fight with Bodo, then that's the game plan. You want to get the fight to the ground immediately. You could either look for a submission at that point or you could just unload some ground and pound just like Aspinall did and you'll get that finish there. Now, if Bodo is smart and he sees how Doc has handled the fight with Nascimento, then that's his game plan. For whatever reason, Nascimento decided I'm going to try to strike. And I didn't think that was the best game plan. And we saw what happened (laughs) in that fight, and he got knocked out. So once you start to stray away from uh, what you are typically known for, and in Nascimento, he's certainly a jiu-jitsu ace. I don't know why he would have. Well, you know what? I shouldn't fault anyone for trying to improve every aspect of their game. But against someone like Chris Dawkins, I probably wouldn't have taken that risk. I don't think he should take that risk here because, like you said, Bodo is a very wild striker. He certainly lets it fly. Um, but, yeah, this is exactly how you called it, striker versus grappler, and it will all come down to who can implement their game plan best. And you know how I am with these types of fights. I usually favor the grappler just for the sake of I think they have a better chance of winning sometimes. Um, and yeah, I will, I will give you my prediction straight off the bat. I'm going to go with a first round submission for Nascimento here. You know, and I didn't think we were going to go six for six because I thought I had some wild picks here, but I am going with Nascimento too. Yeah. Like I, I think, I think in this, you know, so Bado does have lightning in his hands, but here's the difference maker for me. He seems to get when anytime he has any success gets wild. Like the, yeah. the strikes are not calculated at all. Whereas if you can think of Nascimento just hitting a reactionary takedown, he's very calculated once he's in his round. So like, mm-hmm. it does start in Baudot's realm. So we got to give him that. But like, 
he, he does not do a good job of keeping it there, I don't think. Whereas Nascimento, once it's in his realm, you're there until the end of the round, most likely, if you survive. So I, I like it just to possibly get to Nascimento's realm. And, and yeah, I'm going to follow your lead. I'm going to take Nascimento uh, first round submission as well. And, and, and I just want to say something really quick before we go. Even if Bodo loses, he still has a fight out there. You know what that fight is? Chris Huggy Bear Barnett. He can still fight. <laughs> yes. That would be fun. That would be really fun if he loses. So hopefully they get that to go together. I'm going to say this. I like that fight if he wins, too. I don't oh, care. Yeah. I, as far as, you know, and you're, maybe you're on the same page as me, because we can turn this into a Huggy Bear fan club uh, podcast real fast if we want to. <laughs> um, because because Chris Huggy Bear Barnett, that dude needs to stay in the UFC, first of all. And second of all, anytime you want to put a fun striker up against that dude who has no interest in going to the ground, I'm in. I mean, all day. Like, him versus Ben Rothwell was, like, terrifying to me. I was like, he's going to – he's the dude's going to get go-go choked. Like, we yep. know he's going – and he did, and he got go-go choked. Yep. And, like, just put him in there with just any sl- – put him in there with some dude who slugs. Put him there with Parker Porter. Put him in there with Alan Bardot. Put him in there with guys who who bang. Anyway, I'm, I'm done with Chris Barnett, but, yes, you're right. Alan Bardot, Huggy Bear, after this fight, regardless of the situation, I'm in. All right, and that's going to do it for the end of our third round and our Chris Huggy Bear Barnett fan club moment. Uh, <laughs> once again, I want to thank the uh, founding member of the Huggy Bear fan club, uh, Kristen King. You can follow her on Twitter at Kristen King MMA, and you can, of course, check out her writing on Bloody Elbow. Kristen, thanks so much for the time. Thank you so much for having me back, and our monthly Huggy Bear fan club meeting is every Wednesday, so meet me back here for that. <laughs> 